And now we want to share something special with our listeners, introducing Lit and Lit Extra, the new hot sauce IEX just created. We're calling it the official unofficial hot sauce of the stock market. It's a perfect blend of spice and high performance flavor. You'll definitely want to get your hands on some. You can check it out at iextrading.com slash podcast to get your fix while supplies last or tag us at IEX and let us know how you like it. Welcome everybody to our Boxes and Lines live series. This We're is our live! First Boxes and Lines is live! I'd like to introduce our guests. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have these guys on. I'm sure uh, you know they don't need much introduction, but it's uh, Danny Moses, Porter Collins, and Vincent Daniels from obviously the book and the movie The Big Short. There's a lot more to them than that, of course. Uh, they're great friends of IX, and some of us here personally, I definitely consider them a friend. We've known them for a long time. Uh, many people probably don't know. They're the ones who introduced us to Michael Lewis. And uh, a real tidbit that just came to me about like 20 minutes ago before this podcast that I didn't even remember, but was the day that uh, the Flash Boys book was released uh, to much Argy Bargy, as Danny likes me to say. Uh, Argy Bargy. Bargy. All of us met for dinner that night, uh, Brad, myself, Michael Lewis, and these guys, and someone brought a bunch of books and pens and I just found this today. These are all the signature. Oh, Jesus, my background. Oh, you can't it. see it. Anyway, oh, what oh, I'm doing is holding up a book and I have these guys' signature on there. So uh, long intro, but uh, these guys were also <laughs> one of the first guests on our podcast. And before we left the office, we actually used to record the podcast in a small little, like I guess you would call it a booth or a, a hot box. But in, in any case, these guys were great sports. A sweat and, box. Yeah, they sweated it out with us for a good 45 minutes. So Welcome, fellas. Uh, we, we appreciate you joining this podcast. For those who don't know you, if you wouldn't mind, just one by one, kind of intervals and tell us what you're up to uh, these days, and then we'll jump right into this thing. Ronan, can I ask you, can I? Can we NFT that book yeah. and sell it for like 20 million bucks or something with all the, yeah, all the good, signatures yeah, good in good it? Yeah, luck with that. Yeah. That's, actually, um, that's a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> go ahead. So I'll go first. Danny Moses, um, uh, Vinny. Port and I ran Seawolf for several years uh, up until 2017. Since then, um, I've been kind of doing um, private investing and advising and consulting in various areas, um, everything from technology to cannabis to Amazon marketplace companies. Um, so it's been fun. Prior to that, um, obviously, I was with Vinny Porter and Steve Eisman, also at Front Point Partners, where um, the big short did occur. And prior to that, I spent years on the south side on Wall Street as an institutional broker. Um, covering the funds that I end up going to join. So, Vinny. Uh, Vincent Daniel, thanks, Danny. Uh, everything that Danny said in terms of historic background. Uh, currently, right now, both myself and Porter Collins are uh, running Seawolf Capital, which is now uh, a family office, so it's our own money. And uh, pretty much running it on an unconstrained basis, so we're not just looking at financials, financial service entities uh, or mortgages as we were in the big short, but pretty much anything and everything uh, in markets. And uh, I don't really need an introduction. This is Porter. And uh, <laughs> all I will say is that uh, we're not drinking as much as we did in that little phone booth on our first, uh, mm -hmm. first Well, episode. It's early in the podcast. We'll, yeah. we'll get there. Yeah. Feel free to infuse yourself off screen. Yeah. That's totally mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we'll kick it off. These guys aren't shy, but we, we thought we'd, we'd, we'd start off an easy one. Uh, how have things changed since our last podcast, which was... Like January 2020, that came out. Obviously, volatility in March. But um, what might people be missing looking back from your guys' perspective? Who wants to start? Go ahead, Vinny. You start. Well, I mean, the, the obvious and the biggest one is the fact that it was pre-pandemic, or at the very least, um, the pandemic didn't really hit the U.S. or hit markets in the U.S. So to me, the biggest change was what we just went through over the past year uh, in terms of lockdowns. I mean, we're doing this on a Zoom rather than doing it live. Uh, and just in terms of markets, that despite us locking down the economy and we're still not back to par, so to speak, uh, markets are higher than what they were pre-COVID. And so the one, so much has changed, but the one thing that really hasn't has been the most important uh, agent of markets, which is the Fed and central banks and printing money. Yeah, I would add to that. Once again, um, you know, fed, fed to the rescue, um, you know, certain aspects of it made sense. And Vinny Importer, Vinny Importer will tell you that 
um, during the you know, financial crisis, I was against all of these government interventions. However, in hindsight, I think they did actually a really good job with you know, TARP and TALF. But beyond that, this quantitative easing, this has gone on way too long. But obviously, understanding volatility a little bit better. Um, I think the one thing that's changed dramatically is the retail, the rise of the retail investor and the gamification of the markets. Um, I, you know, I've said this before, and sorry if this is redundant, but people have a DraftKings account, a Coinbase account, and a Robinhood account, and I feel like they're viewing risk the same across all three. And I think um, it's creating uh, asset bubbles. It doesn't mean it's going to blow up tomorrow, but that has changed dramatically. So if you take 1999, 2000, when I was around um, and we were around, and we saw the advent of E-Trade and Ameritrade and so forth. It's really not that different. It's just more widespread. And back then there were chat rooms. Back then there was just, but now it's, you know, times 100. But I'll, I'll side with Vin on the kind of the moral hazard creation that the, that the Fed has built. And I think we're just programmed to buy the dips. And I don't know how much longer that's going to last. You know, the, the, uh, Vinny and I saw, saw the pandemic uh, sort of early in, in sort of January, February timeframe. We were jumping up and down, shorting everything. And... Uh, you know, we said we said to people we're going to buy the crap out of the market when when there's no more people riding the uh, the trains in, in Manhattan. And sure enough, you know, a month later, no one's riding the train, and you know that that was probably the bottom of the market. But of course, we didn't uh, cover our shorts until by a month or so yeah. later. But that that's beside the point. But um, you know, the the, the market's a, is is a discounting mechanism and. Yeah, the, the market sort of picked out the bottom and, and they, they saw the stimulus and they knew that, that this thing would pass. And um, I think, you know, I, I would, it's fair to assume that all of us will have our COVID shots in the next month or so and things will be more back to normal. The, the, the difference is, is that the Fed's balance sheet's just a lot bigger. We have a, a ton more debt and, uh, you know, the, the, the bubble's just gotten bigger. Uh, you know, the, um, there's so many pockets of, of, of bubbleness all over the place, right? Valuations, look at the stuff in, in, in uh, Bitcoin, the housing market is, is back again. There's a lot of really, a lot of bubble characteristics. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm necessarily negative right now, but that's, I think that's what's changed. Don, did you have a question? I, yeah, I was, I was just going to ask from a personal perspective, um, we're we're doing this at kind of a unique time, which is we're kind of like on the cusp of um, being in a position to re-enter. Um, I, I, who knows what normal is anymore, but a, uh, but uh, a, a level of socialization that's a little um, closer to what we were used to before the pandemic. From a personal perspective, how do you think your lives are going to be different going forward, either professionally or just personally? Um, as we emerge from this, what lessons have you learned or, or what's different now as we look to emerge from this? I mean, for me, the, the, the biggest thing I think that's yet to be sorted is the work from home stuff. You know, I was speaking to a, a guy today, uh, works for a big bank and he's dreading going back to the office. You know, mm -hmm. works from home, loves it, no commute. And I think that all of us who live in the New York area that were riding the train in, in, in and out of New York City. I don't think anyone has ever want to do that again. And so I think that's the, the yet to be determined of how this all plays out. And, and um, I think you have a podcast coming up on that, but you know, it, it's, that's the really interesting dynamic of, of what will happen going forward. I think um, for me, philosophically, I think it puts things back in perspective um, and spending time obviously with family and things like that. At first, it may have seemed, um, you know, to be somewhat of an in, inconvenience, but after a while, you've kind of cherished that a little bit. And to Porter's point, the, the, when I think back to getting up at 4.30 and taking the train, which, you know, love, love trading the markets and so forth. But when you think about that from a quality of life perspective, yeah. it really changes. And I think from a productivity, if you can find the balance um, in your life, I think it really changes things. And I think companies are more open to that. I think that they can lower their expenses dramatically. Um, so I think you've seen an offset, obviously, on corporate balance sheets and on income statements of not just less business travel, but you know, real estate, commercial real estate, and their ability to pay people less, the fact that they don't have to have the wear and tear on themselves. So um, you know, I think there's going to be a combination hybrid from now on for several, several years. The thing, the thing that I think about 
and, and this is really an age discrepancy. So for people our age, um, in some ways, what happened aside from all the evils associated with COVID was a blessing in disguise, as these guys said. We, we learned how to work from home, enjoyed it. Uh, what I am concerned about is just thinking about when we were in our 20s, going into the city and the mentoring. I could, I could speak for the, mm. both of them and myself. We're all big fans of mentoring younger people who are entering the workforce. And that to me is going to be a, a significant challenge. I mean, I think of myself and the last thing I want to do is going in the city, maybe two days a week, but you know, those Thursday nights or, or, or just random office events that were, that were three standard deviation events, um, they're going to be rare. And that's where you, those are real learning curves for, for younger people. And as anybody knows us, you know, the, either at, at Front Point or, or Seawolf, there was no more fun place to uh, to work. I mean, it was, uh, you know, yelling and screaming all day long. It was a it was a lot of fun. And so, you know, I think that's the biggest thing that I miss in terms of the the, the camaraderie. You know, working from yeah, home, I so. definitely enjoyed my visits, and I think I was called a little Irish fuck or something like that. But anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> could have been it could have been worse, Ronan. I, I can't imagine it could, you would it, ever it, be called that, Ronan. I don't believe it. That. It could it, it could have been way worse. I took it as like my family when they call me that that, that they love me. But um, yeah, like from a personal standpoint, it's a great question, John. Like, have things like that changed permanently working from home? What about what about the markets themselves? Do you think they've changed permanently, or is, is that too broad a question? Or what are your thoughts there? My my view is is that I, I think you know Mike Green says it best. He, you know he he keeps on talking about you know the the passive pacification of the of the market, and that's what it is. It's just that the passive funds just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know. I know we talked about it in the early 2000s, how all these stocks start trading together and there's no, you know, there's no dispersion between the different names. And I think that's the, uh, that's the advent of, of passive and also these big mammoth ARB hedge funds, right? They're just long one short the other and they just, they've grinded everything down to such tight spreads that the leverage in the system is so massive. Um, and you know, it, it lends itself to these wild swings. And I, I agree with them that the, the market's only going to get more volatile as more passive comes into the market. Yeah, I, I echo that. Um, you know, the market is, uh, Porter said before, I mean, we're in bubble territory, but it doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, you know, implode. Again, I'll go back to the one thing that's changed with this market is the retail component and what I would call these story stocks. And I would also add just, you know, the lack of oversight by the government whether you like it or not, um, you know, we'll see if that changes. There was an election in the middle, obviously, of all of this COVID. So there has been a regime change a little bit. And I don't know if we'll have more teeth, but remember that there was a CFPB. Maybe that comes back a little bit. There was an SEC. Maybe that comes back a little bit. And when I think about names like Tesla, and it's not just Tesla, that have detached from fundamentals completely, what that has caused and spurred on is six other electric vehicle companies that came about, probably most of them because of SPACs. And and I think when you see things like that occur and you see certain companies and CEOs get away with what they've gotten away with, it really sets a dangerous precedent. And we've seen, we've seen the uncovering in the last year of something like a Wirecard, right? Wirecard, you know, just to bring an example, there's still, as much of the market goes up and everything goes up, you still have these opportunities. And I think the, the art of single name shorting has been hurt, obviously, not just because of GameStop, which we can get into, but because the art of managing money and, you know, it is, it's an art and a science and um, doesn't take a lot to get wiped out on either side. So the market never changes, you know, it, it rhymes, you know, may not repeat exactly, but this is the same, just does, it doesn't matter how you're trading it. So um, again, I'll let uh, Vinny go. I, I don't know if it's a change, but more of a, a recognition and acceleration that I think the most important asset that we all should watch all day long, I know when I wake up, I see where it is, is the 10-year treasury, right? And it feels like now, and I always felt that the 10-year treasury drives the direction of almost everything, markets, economy. Uh, and people have caught on to the fact that these big, really, these big tech names, the FANG, which are great companies, have a high correlation to the long bond. And, and now even people who are investing in these names realize that, oh, if the economy gets better and the 10-year treasury goes up, my investments go down. 
I actually want a bad economy. And think about how sick that is, right? Like right now we're, we're in a market where if the thing that matters the most is the 10 year treasury, people are rooting for a bad economy. People are rooting for structural unemployment. Um, I think it's always been that way, but considering that we want on so much debt because of COVID, understandably so, it's even worse. So yeah, I just on, think we, so. We're on the other side of Goldilocks is what Vinny's describing, which is careful what you it's wish two, for. Two for two. Two for two. We got Tesla and the other side of Goldilocks. He's been using that oh, line what? since like 1982. <laughs> Did you guys have a Danny Moses word bingo set up? I, I, I see the two you cheering. Yeah. You just you just drew you just drew first blood. Drew first blood. I knew it. Oh, I, knew, I knew I knew we uh -huh. I knew we'd wake him up. Uh -huh. I'm gonna heble you in a second. You should have tried to be in a podcast booth with these three. <laughs> we I were can't being imagine. so we were being so professional. We just had to open it up a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah no, no, well, no. I we knew that wasn't gonna last for long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, on the retail piece, I was interested, I read an article um, the other day that um, the, the so-called stimmies, I'd never heard this term before, but these are the people who are expected to receive stimulus payments. They've estimated 40% of the total stimulus payment, or maybe it's 40% of the people receiving these funds are planning to invest some or all of it in the market, uh, which made me think, well, what, what is that going to do if we're in an asset bubble? Um, does that just exaggerate the sense of it. Um, do, do you think that the, the current conditions that we're in just um, accentuate or exaggerate the potential that we've got a bubble that's that's bound to, to turn around? Yeah, and to, to add to that, just so everybody out there knows, uh, I learned recently, Danny Hulu Moses is now part of a, <laughs> a, a streamed uh, newscast on Hulu called GameStop, or I guess it's just a uh, documentary. But Danny, does that talk about retail surge? And will that be the entire story like John's asking for 2021? Well, certainly Robinhood's out there offering, uh, you know, if you make that deposit, they send you, I don't know, 400 trades for free, a t-shirt and socks or, you know, something if you make a deposit into Robinhood. But uh, uh, we, we give socks too. But yeah, that, that was a jab at us, John. I think. Yeah, yeah no, so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It was thinly veiled. I think yeah. these, these fucking guys opened it up on the last one. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just, I yeah. So wait, so I just talked about gamification. So you open up your laptop, you go into your Chase account. Oh, there's fourteen hundred dollars sitting there. Cool. I'm gonna go trade a little Bitcoin. I'm gonna go bet on Oregon, and then I'm gonna you know go trade in the market. So the answer is, I'm sure that there's a decent percentage it's going into the market and does it get wiped out it's someone buying gamestop right now in the aftermarket at 205 dollars <laughs> i mean it's possible Vinny, was that on your list no sorry but anyway so yes that it could that could definitely happen because there's the, because there's no way you would have thought gamestop would have been up to 205 dollars in the aftermarket. i don't even know where it is i can't i'm scared if i click off the zoom i'll never find it again so go ahead Vinny. <laughs> I, I mean to a certain extent can you blame them like when i think about what retail is doing. I mean, for the past eight to 10 years, what's been the most rewarding investment strategy uh, known to men? Buy the dip, buy anything. And the institutional investor, and God bless some of them who did, some of them own sports branches right now and buying the dip, knowing that the Fed at some point is going to save your ass uh, if the market goes down. So I can't even blame them. I don't agree with what they're doing, but I can't blame them for what they're doing. They, they feel like they can't lose. So why shouldn't they think that and put some of that money into, into the market? Right. Portnoy talks but, about it every day that <laughs> stocks never go down. And he's, uh, he's technically been right for the past whatever years. You know, it's the Fed, the Fed will keep, and they know that the Fed will come bail them out every time they go down. There's a, there's a Fed put, there's a, there's a Powell put, there's, they're, they're there, they're all in. Right, but the but the Fed can't bail out the market forever, and at some point they will go down. And then the question is, if you got like this whole generation of people that have only started to really pay attention to and invest in the market over the last year, um, are, are are suddenly burned in a way they never thought they could have been? What does that do to investor confidence? What does that do to the uh, you know uh, long term to people's confidence in the markets? The average age of the Robinhood investors thirty one. So by that means that they've never seen a real down market. That means that they were 16 or 17 during the global financial crisis, right? So they haven't, haven't seen this. All they know is the Fed has your back. 
So to Vinny's point. So if that's the case, and then when it goes down, it's the easiest person to blame is either short sellers or bad corporations or whatever. And yes, there are bad corporations out there. And there are probably short sellers out there who do try to manipulate the markets. But for the majority of that's not the case. And it's a good market. So what I hate to see is retail investors get roped in, um, you know, last one's in, um, first one's out on it. I can't imagine how much money was lost when GameStop did its dance about three or four weeks ago, you know, when it made its move 500 then back down to $60 or so, wherever it went, $70. So um, the same people right now are buying it in the aftermarket. So it's a vicious cycle, but, um, you know, buyer beware. Did you have that one, Vin? Buyer beware? No. Okay. All right. I, I did. No. You know what I did not have was Porter complimenting Portnoy. Go ahead, Ronan. I'm that sorry. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> right. Fellas, fellas, take it yeah. easy. So yeah. I got a bit of a cliche question. Uh, first one is, you know, in 2021, what's what's keeping you guys up at night? And then where do you see opportunities in 2021? So kind of loaded questions, but curious to hear your answer. I mean, you just talked about, you know, what can stop this? I, I think about it every day. You know, Vin talked about it briefly, but the, the 10-year treasury and does does inflation um, and higher yields, you know, sweep the legs of, of the Fed? And I think there's a decent chance. I mean, in terms of, um, you know, stimulus, the stimulus has been three times what it was in the, in the great financial crisis. And, and then the, the QE4, which whatever, they, they're still doing QE4, they did in one year what one, two, and three did in six years. And we're talking about another three, now $4 trillion infrastructure program, you know, and this economy is absolutely ripping right now because people have cash, you know, again, we're, we're all going to have our, our uh, COVID shots in the next month and people are going to be going out like crazy. And I, and I think, and this time that the hand, the, the money's in the hands of the individuals rather than the banks. And I think it's going to flow much more freely than it did before. And so how long lasting is it? I don't know. But, you know, the, the metals right now are, a lot of these metals are five-year highs. Look, crude's back to where it was before. And if you look at, uh, you know, the, the, um, the level of rig counts, it's half of what it was before. And so you're not going to pump as much oil and the demand's going to be right back or maybe even higher than it was before. So I think there's a good chance that inflation could could stop the Fed dead in its tracks. So that's that's what I that's what I keeps me up at night. I worry that um, I wake up in two things. I realize that they say that the vaccine doesn't work, yep. and or and or it makes you bullish. Those are two <laughs> things. That, those are two things that personally scare me. Um, but. Uh, no, I mean, I, that is one thing, though. The vaccine not working would yeah. be bad. Just, you know, you know, <laughs> Let's not about consider the that possibility. Okay. Okay. Well, that does yeah. keep me up a little bit, uh, a little bit at night. But uh, honestly, I, I wake up each morning and I think, um, you know, did I miss oh. this? Um, did, I, did I miss this market? <laughs> or, or am I going to be the last one to finally buy it and come in? I mean, I'm kind of neutral right now on the overall market. But, there, you know, I certainly am short various names. And I think the whole point is that, and Porter already harped on this, that the ETF market is not the way to express your market views. You know, I think bottom up, you know, should should really matter in the long term, and it should, and know what you own, and take the opportunity to, uh, you know, take this time period to understand these companies. I think, listen, it's great to have more eyes and ears, even if it's retail, because there are very smart retail investors out there that can do great work. Like, you know, tell a story, but I'll tell this to every retail: read read the short report the same way that every short seller reads the long reports. Um, you know, it's a, that's kind of what, what, what makes a market. But I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity uh, over the course of this year. And Porter and Vinny, thankfully, got out of focusing only on financials um, and using their brains in other areas. And I think that um, they, they see it. They're, tra they're trading in seven, eight different sectors right now. Um, and it's, it's a huge opportunity. So don't fall into the group think out there, you know, your own work and by the name. So. Are you going to tell us what names are short, or is that not an appropriate question? I'll let Vinny talk about you. what keeps him up at night first. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. But then we can talk about that. <laughs> well, da Danny, I can't uh, wait to hear what keeps Vinny up. Go Danny, ahead. Danny stole my my uh, what kept me up was the vaccine. No one talks about if the vaccines don't work. I mean, it's the scariest thing as an American, and is that I don't think we can afford to go through another lockdown uh, this country. Yeah. So I'm really talk about 
being bullish. You're bullish, you know, hopeful on the fact that this works. But what keeps me up on, at night is it's, it's usually the same thing all the time, but it's the leverage. And this time it's the leverage of not the banks, and we, we know the banks fairly well, but the non-bank financial system. These big levered, unregulated pools of capital that have convinced the world that they can run five to 10 times geared, uh, vol targeting funds, relval, quant funds, and the talent pool in these organizations are fantastic. But given their size, every time they like get a cold or, or cough, the Fed has to save them. They're too big to fail. And if you think about what happened in March, right? Who got relief first? I mean, this is amazing. Some people talk about it, but not enough. It wasn't the first responders. It wasn't the healthcare workers. It wasn't the restaurants that were forced to shut down or the movie theaters. It was these levered pools of too big to fail capital where the money went there first. I mean, they literally gave Larry Fink the ability to buy ETFs so he can pretty much help out his underlying assets under management, right? So, and that leverage really hasn't declined all that much. It only goes up more because the Fed keeps volatility low and that's sort of the crux of it. So that unwinding always keeps me up at night and it creates massive distortions in markets. I think we just saw one for the past three days where something happens and markets will go down 12, 15%. It's not because the world changed dramatically. It's because the people are levered 10 to 15 to one on a certain asset class and they have to unwind it because they can't afford any type of loss. Remember, remember Occupy Wall Street when at the people actually were pissed off at, at the banks for getting all this money? Well, this time, you know, the, the anger lasted, what, three seconds when, when everyone got bailed out of the bottom? I mean, mark, markets came right back. No one's, no, where's the anger? There's nothing. No one's, no, and then short sellers are, have, been, have been absolutely decapitated. I mean, it, they're, they're afraid to, to speak out. Right, I, I we're very good friends with Mark Cahodes. He, he's he's afraid to to mention a short because it's it's mm. useless, right? Or, or publicly. John looks very angry right now. So no, uh, I'm not angry. I'm I'm pensive. That, that's my pensive look. You guys, probably. you guys have me panicked about the vaccine. To be honest, so I never, yeah, never I even know. considered that. To, that's <laughs> fucking. That's scary, man. Yeah, uh, but, but there's no evidence to. I mean, there's no evidence. It's to, not based. It's that, not based on scientific. Yeah, thought. I no. mean, you, we're not right. scientists here by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. It's just the fear that you, as an American, you're like, by God, I hope this works. We need to get yeah. out. So well, I know where also, there is a good market opportunity on the long side in 21. However, what's that which, one? Which checks everybody. So what we just, we just talked, we just talked about, we just talked about debt at the government level, right? We talked about health, we talked about, you know, job growth. Well, there's one sector that, you know, certainly helps all those, which is cannabis. It is. And it's the right place, right time. Look at, look at uh, sports gambling. Look yeah. at sports gambling, right? I mean, yeah, the, these are vices, obviously, but you know what? The public supports them. Um, and so, you know, cannabis. gambler. Yeah. Now, now, hold on. You can actually, yeah, you can gamble and get high, and it's all legal now. You can do whatever you want online. So in certain states, oh, in certain states. Yeah. Porter, you brought up Mike Green. He's he's a friend of ours too, and had done a podcast with us before. Uh, Mike will be on uh, talking about Bitcoin with Lynn Aldwood. We we sort of we had set this podcast up as a as a bull bear scenario, and in our pre call with them, it was really really interesting. And I wouldn't say either are a full bear or full bull, but um. Uh, we're going to have that podcast tomorrow night. And then on Thursday night, well, Thursday evening, I guess we're going to have one with CBRE on New York real estate. Uh, curious what your guys' thoughts are on those two topics. They're, I guess the two heavy topics, both Bitcoin and New York real estate. I'll let Vinny follow up. But you think about the three of us, at our hearts, we're not growth investors. We're, we're contrarian investors. So, you know, Bitcoin in 2017, uh, crashed. And that's when we were buying in terms of, you know, it was a good risk reward that you had optionality of inflation, you had optionality on, on everything else. And I think now when, when you have bare bold de debates, that's when the game's over, right? Mm. You know, I, I remember that, you know, they, they, they'd finally do the, all these, the brokers would come have a bare bold debate and they don't show up. And, you know, that's when the story is kind of over. And so, is Bitcoin over? 
No, it's just I, I just don't see the optionality that that once I once saw in terms of you know these they were it's gone up ten times. So from the that's my perspective. I, it doesn't interest me as much as it much as it once did. To me, it Bitcoin is. I've called it the, the most well-crafted designed Ponzi scheme I think we'll ever see. And <laughs> it's so good and it's being pushed so hard that it actually has a chance to come to fruition, right? And, and if you think about what gives it some of its legs as well is really what our country is doing in terms of huge debt issuance, monetizing our, our currency. So even if you're against Bitcoin, and I can't say I'm an advocate of it, um, it's hard to dismiss the other side of the equation, which is, wow, do I really want to own the US dollar when we just keep printing money? History would suggest that I don't. Mm. Um, so to me, but then I get to the issue, and Porter says this all the time, is do you ever see Bitcoin being the currency of global currency of choice and will the sovereign governments ever allow it as the currency of choice? And I think the answer is no. So if that's the case, then it's just a store of value and it's money in, money out. And right now it's money in. So it works. I don't think Danny's going to be buying his Tesla with his Bitcoin. Ooh. Yeah, neither of those exist. But <laughs> I, will, I will tell you that, uh, that uh, Bitcoin, um, you know, having watched kind of what's happened in the last few months with gold, if you think of gold as like a, you know, $12 trillion market. And if you think is Bitcoin and crypto is kind of a little over a billion market or wherever it sits right now, billion three, billion four. You've seen that um, gap close a little bit and people using Bitcoin as what used to be the reason to own gold, right? That's been kind of a constant. So I will also say that I was certainly am not a, a Bitcoin bull. That being said, um, I'm not a Bitcoin bear. And the reason is there's just too many smart people um, that are around it right now. And the other thing is that similar to 1998 and 1999, you had to have a dot-com strategy, right? Um, I don't care what you were. If you were a bank, it doesn't matter what you were. You had to have a dot-com. Right now, if you're a fintech or anything for that matter, you better have some type of, even if it's bullshit, you know, a blockchain strategy or a Bitcoin strategy, some digital strategy that you have just so you're, you can appease your shareholders and figure it out later. And Vinny can attest to this, but I always said, show me an application. You know, if you can displace Visa and MasterCard on the rails and, and use blockchain, great. But what just happens recently, MasterCard and Visa are now obviously getting in, PayPal's in. All these means, I think it's defense and then offense for a lot of these companies. They just need to have a seat at the table, see what's going on. But I can tell you, I don't know who agrees out there, but the government is, is freaking out. And I think they were hoping, and I say government, I think every government was hoping this thing would just kind of fizzle out, be a fraud and go away. And every day that goes by and it doesn't, it's becoming an issue. And it may not be a bad issue. There's some applications that exist out there, but it would really be interesting to what see is like how to use a store value is the question I just saw come in. I, I'm not sure, but when you can start buying goods with it, it obviously has a has a price attached to it. So anyway, those are my hey, thoughts. I, and, I, hey, I let do me, think the sorry. I do think the the blockchain applications, I mean, is extremely bullish. I mean, because you think about, you know, music and movies and all, all this stuff over a blockchain system. I think it's very, very interesting. And I think that that's, you know, like the Danny used the dot-com analogy. There, there was a lot of good things that came out of it. I think there's gonna be a ton of, of blockchain stuff that comes out of it, whether, you know, we, we trade on on the blockchain, whether commodities or any of this stuff, I think it probably happens sooner than most people think. And so- Yeah, yeah, blockchain is one thing, but Bitcoin is a speculative investment is another. And I, I wanna ask you guys, uh, just to kind of connecting the retail threads and the crypto threads that we, been talking about the 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 regulators to this point having been a former regulator myself are nervous about uh the you know opening up bitcoin uh related investments to the masses to retail investors there's a lot of pressure to do that do you have any thoughts about that is that is are, are we ready for that um do you have concerns about that we've already seen that play out yeah. you saw the ico markets right those quickly shut down but it is yeah. open for retail there are many ways to, to, to express a, a Bitcoin trade as a retail investor. Um, so I, I think that is a fear. And I think that was the issue that happened with these ICOs. I think that's going to be an ongoing, ongoing issue. Yeah. The other thing I would say, and I'll give a promotion to you guys, and particularly, uh, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's, I guess, podcast or live event. I mean, you couldn't pick two better people to talk about this than Mike Green and Lynn Alden. I mean, 
uh, I'll speak for myself, anytime any of those are on a podcast, I listen because they're, they're well-grounded, well-thought, uh, and it's nice that they have different opinions. So you'll, you'll, you'll get a really differentiated opinion on, the, on this asset class. Nice. Thanks for the plug. Uh, no <laughs> I always as, appreciate that. We'll give you a pair of fucking socks. And as far as, yeah. you know, as far as New York City real estate, you guys tell us, you guys own most of the downtown yep. now, right? So how's it <laughs> working on it? Yeah. What's going yeah. on down there? So Literally. yeah, yeah look, it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously uh, some of us are back in the office and but most of our office looks the same way, although cleaner than it did like a year ago when we walked out of there. And as we, and we, we will poll employees, but um, you know, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, do people want to plow onto trains and come into the city or ride the subways and come to the office? But also, so it's, we're, we're going to have a good discussion yeah. on Thursday evening and sort of really ask, uh, you know, these guys in CBRE are mainly on the commercial real estate angle, but I'd be really interested to hear what they're hearing from all of their tenants. But in our little ecosystem of our own in our one floor office we're still trying to figure out you know what does this mean when does normal come back to normal even now if everybody had the vaccine and wanted to come back we're not allowed to have more than 50 percent there at any point do we do people on a b weeks and how long does that go so that's it's 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 going to be it, you know we're probably talking about this 12 it, months from now it, it'll take a while to settle out but i gotta say i am so ready to come back into the office i've been stuck out here in long island for most of the last year and it's perfectly fine out here, but you know, humans are social creatures. We are not wired to yeah. know, like interact with each other on Zoom. Um, and it's John misses just, me. It, That's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I miss you, Ronan. I uh, yeah, well, but but I mean, it 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 it, it there is a long that the, there's a real wear and tear on your psyche uh, when you don't have the ability to interact um, with people on a more personal level, and I think that's gonna. Um, uh, really motivate people to, um, I can't wait to get back is my answer. I mean, the, the, the problem that I see is, is the state finances and no one really worries about it right now, but I mean, the MTA is broke. The, the New York state is broke. The city's broke. I, I just don't know how it, it I mean, cannabis. It's going to be a, vices, vices, but if you think about office, if you think about it from a, from an asset class perspective, uh, particularly office. So I think the next four or five months, the trend's going to feel really good. The real question is when your lease is due and you have to roll, um, I would have to think that's potentially deflationary. It doesn't make sense that it wouldn't be particularly, and this is very localized, but in New York, we built a heck of a lot of buildings over the last five, 10 years, think Hudson Yards. So the combination of a post-COVID world and the uncertainty associated with that, combined with the oversupply, um, I'm not bullish on, I'm not, I'm not short office right now. Um, I probably would look to get short office maybe you know, four to six months from now, like in, in October, November, but I'm, I'm not bullish on it longer term. I'm not. I'll tune in in the next couple of days. It should be interesting. So I think now we're going to open it up uh, to some Q&A. I think we've had some Q&A submitted live. Denny even answered some live. Well done. The man knows his Zoom. Um, <laughs> but Sarah on our Marcom's team, I think you've been aggregating some questions. Are there some questions you'd like to ask the guys? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so also everyone, please do uh, enter your questions into the Q&A box. We're watching those um, on the Bitcoin question. We hope that you will come back tomorrow and hear more about that. Um, so here's one from uh, Kenny at Alpha Sniper Capital. Uh, excluding using CPI, what are the prime indicators you use to measure inflation? Great name for a firm. Alpha Sniper. Is that right? Yeah. That's cool. um, I, you know, Vinny and Danny probably have different things, but what is inflation? Is, is asset inflation, does that, does that count? I mean, can you imagine if you are a millennial starting work now? I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to save for the future with assets at an all-time high and real estate at an all-time high, valuations all-time high. I mean, you know, there's, there's massive inflation. Just look at the valuation of everything. It's just, it's, just, it's 99th percentile. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Ben? The one, the only thing that I look at, and it, sadly, it's the only thing that the Fed considers inflationary is wages. 
So if you're going to look at, if you're asking me, what do I look at? I try to look at wage, uh, wage inflation. And again, Wall Street hates wage inflation. Wall Street hates when regular people make money. They do. And, and the minute they start making money, we need to raise rates and we need to cool off markets. So every other inflation could either be taken out of the CPI or hedonically adjusted. So the one they, they really have a hard time doing is wage inflation. So that's the one I'm watching. And do you, do you pay less for an iPad every time you get a new one? Never. I just bought one, paid more. That's why the uh, minimum wage thing was got taken out is the reason it got taken out. I think Vinny, to your point, I mean, so the Fed a couple of years ago when Amazon was exploding high, you know, exploding their business, which they still are, um, they made a comment that they thought inflation actually could help could be tamed a bit more by the advent of, e, you know, buying stuff online, e-commerce, and so forth. And it did. It had a very deflationary economies of scale aspect to it. Well. Since COVID hit, I can tell you that the supply chain is broken. Um, how temporary is that? I don't know. But when you think about making a, a plastic tube of something, the the cap comes from a different place than the bottle, and the liquid comes from a different place than the cap in the bottle. And there's been a real, real issue with that. So you have to hire people as a shortage to go build those plants. Hire, and so that's happening. Prices are now being passed on to the consumer. You can see it. I mean, go to Amazon and just go to various products. Um, you can see it changing. So I, I look at stuff like that. Um, and listen, I mean, they love measuring CPI with food and energy and outside of food and energy. But I'm a believer that you need food and energy to exist. So I like to look at that. And that's gone up a lot. So, um, you know, how much of it's transitory? I don't know. I think the Fed is underestimating it. And I'll bet go back to one more point that we kind of brings it all together. Low rates in this Fed has caused this entire thing. It's 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 helped, um, you know, expedite Bitcoin higher. It's helped these SPACs all form because when rates are zero, SPACs have no competition yep. for that capital. It's helped. It's so it's helped the market. It's helped. And it's the great and the natural order of things. To Vinny's point, is economy goes, rates move higher, and then you wipe out the good company. You wipe out the bad companies and keep the good. So I'm just nervous that the burn back through the atmosphere is going to be other side of Goldilocks. Other, other side, side of Goldilocks. Other side of Goldilocks. So Shomer Shabbos. <laughs> all right go ahead Lebowski all right sorry Sarah next next question please next question uh yeah. how can we allow shorts to have their place in the market uh but have barriers to use them to using them in manipulative ways uh and this is from Reed at Edward Jones does Kathy Wood count as a stock manipulator I mean they, they go after shorts you know what I, I think uh I thought Cassandra was supposed to be on this podcast, but he's not here right now. They, they banned him from talking about hyperinflation. But <laughs> Kathy yeah. Woods is completely fine. Right. That's yeah, Michael so, Barry. That's Michael, Michael Barry. If, anyone so know, if I understand Cassandra. that question, if I understand that question correctly, shorting's okay as long as shorts don't do anything to manipulate stocks. Well, again, there's nothing we like more than buying a stock that you have strong conviction in that you like on the long side that has a shy, high short interest. That's the best long in the world. So use it to your advantage if you don't like short. But longs to, to Porter's point, longs get out there and tell their story, but somehow that's okay. But it's un-American when shorts go tell their story. You know what? Maybe shorts can protect. Maybe maybe the, the unveiling here, sorry to get all upset. Go for it. Preach. This is great. Go for Keep going. Tell it. Uh, Amen. The, you, know, you, know, the, you know, the stock ride in Lordstown, right? Maybe we just saved retail investors, not we, but maybe the shorts have, have unveiled something that will protect the investor. Look at it that way. Look at Wirecard. What if you would listen? What if you were an employee at one of these companies and you woke up and you realized your entire 401k was going to be gone? You made a decision. So I disagree with that um, you know, assessment. And like Porter said, I think, listen, there are vicious shorts out there and there's vicious long buyers out there, but use both in moderation. Sorry. That was fantastic. Yes, go ahead. I got yeah. nothing. Okay. I have nothing to say after that right. gorgeous okay. statement. Gorgeous, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Next question, Sarah. <laughs> uh, Next question. <laughs> we have one more here on uh, blockchain. Uh, speaking of blockchain, what do you think is the likelihood of T plus zero on a blockchain settlement system? I'm a big believer in T zero. I nice. think it could happen. Yeah, it's going to okay. take. 
again, to Vinny's point, you're going to have to convince Bank of New York and a lot of these other companies that are trying to figure out that's why Bank of New York is getting involved, in my opinion, one of the many reasons. Is it great? On, is it great in theory? Absolutely. How would you like to go to mortgage closing and just do it instead of doing all these, you know, mm. paperwork you have to sign, all the regulatory loopholes? There's a reason. There's a lot of jobs between the time that you buy a home and close on a home that go in. So that's why people mm. are fearful of this thing. But I mean, whether we get to T plus zero, I don't know. But certainly in the equity markets, T plus three is, is certainly can be changed. As technology zero. continues to improve, getting to T plus zero is inevitable my opinion. I, how long it takes is, is the right. inertia of employment uh, to get there. Yeah. You know, Vinny and I talk about it all the time because sort of at the bottom of the market, we, we, we did buy a lot of financials. Uh, but I, I have to say we, we bought a lot less than we would have normally bought because Vinny calls it, the, Vinny can go through it a little slowly, but the, but the, you know, T plus zero, it just, it, it cuts out the profitability of a lot of the banks. And yeah. And you know, there's low, low interest rates and the tech and you know PayPal and all these companies that they're real competitors to the banks, and it's just the, the profit margins aren't there like they used to. Um, so we we actually bought a lot more of energy companies. Um, the, the ESG vigilantes allowed us to buy stocks at a lot cheaper prices than we probably would have normal uh, normally gotten. So uh, thanks, I, I guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So I didn't want to bore this podcast, but the, on the bank side, I call it the Kobayashi Maru, which some of the younger people might know this as well in Star Trek. It's the no-win scenario. And <laughs> right now the banks are in a no-win scenario. And just to keep it simple, if I was Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan, the thing I would worry about the most is that a company like PayPal can come in and do what I do for a living, particularly on the payments and processing side. And there's no regulation against PayPal whatsoever. Like Porter and I were joking or discussing today, the CEO of PayPal was at American Express for two or three years and he really couldn't get it done there. Now, was it just the bureaucratic tape of American Express or was it, or was it American Express management or was it that by going to PayPal, he doesn't have to worry about the regulators. I mean, this is what would- Probably the, like the three worst acquisitions of all time, uh, not all time, but I mean, horrendous acquisitions at Amex comes to PayPal and can do no wrong. Right. And just if I was Jamie Dimon, this is what would keep me up at night is that I'm competing against people that don't have to answer to the same people that I do. Well, and and they're, they're in the same gonna, business. Yeah. Don't assume that they're going to be safe from regulation for all that long. Become but the longer you, I agree with you, but the longer you wait, the more of the monster that you build. So yeah. if it's three years from now, it's probably too late. Hmm. Vinny, when you said Kobayashi, I thought you were referring to the hot dog champion before Joey Chestnut, but uh, mm. you brought it to Star Trek. Sorry. Or or mm. the movie use or the movie The Usual, Usual Suspect. Mm. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Burning. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you talk about the, the. I mean, the, the, they they're gonna they're gonna bribe or lobby. You know, the the, the go down to, to Washington to make sure they don't get regulated. Right. Lobby, bribe, same same thing. Listen to me. <laughs> Dara, what else we got? On that note, I'm gonna pass it back to Ronan uh, for our last and favorite question. Oh, oh yeah, we, we have a question uh, that we ask everyone on our podcast now. We, we hadn't instituted it while you guys were there. So yeah. uh, we'd like you each to tell us what your favorite Wall Street movie uh, is. And, and you why. can't pick the big short. So yeah, that's, of course no, that's off the table, yeah. forget that. <laughs> Unless yep. you have a really good reason why. No, I agree. Yeah. Your favorite Wall Street movie and why, please. Yeah. Um, I got two, but I have pieces of two. Can I give you two? Yeah, yeah, go for it. All right, sure. so Hal Holbrook's character in Wall Street is one of the greatest characters of all time. Man Looks in the Abyss, that one. And then <laughs> Trading Places, you guys are a bunch of bookies. Mm -hmm. Those are great. So those are my two favorite Wall Street movies, uh, top one and two by far. Yeah, Trading Places is, is getting a lot of shout-outs recently on our podcast. Yeah. Great, epic movie. Epic. I just hope they don't make trading places too, like they did coming to America. Too, oh, because no, yeah, no, yeah. that'd be I totally. Didn't, I didn't watch it, but I heard it's pretty terrible. Yeah. Oh man, it was awful, awful. So anyway, sorry, Vinny, I digress. Okay. Vinny's no. gonna have some obscure. What do you got, Vin? I, I, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about obviously trading places is probably my favorite comedy, but I was thinking about a movie of of a kid from Queens who was running an unlicensed casino, uh, and then joined this uh, schlocky brokerage nice. firm. Uh, out on Long Island, Boiler Room, 
Uh, it's kind of obscure. Love boiler room. Love it. Uh, but you know, it, it brings it brings me back. You know, as a kid from Queens, it brings me back in terms of uh, all these bucket shops that existed in the nineties. Yeah, it's a good I'm one. A, I'm a big fan of of Michael. Obviously, Big Short's my favorite, but I'm a big fan of Michael Burry. And we all got a chance to meet him uh, during the, the shooting and all that kind of stuff, which, which was fun. But um, Christian Bale was in another uh, Wall Street movie, American Psycho. So that's my, that, uh, yeah. that's my <laughs> favorite one. No one's that's that a one very yet. revealing choice there. Well, it's kind that, of yeah. an inside joke because we have yeah. a friend that kind of could be Christian Bale in American Psycho. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to meet Christian Bale or anything with the, around the movie? No, he was, not Christian Bale. That's he wasn't at the premiere, uh, nor the after party. Uh, he was just in a great movie, Ferrari versus Ford. If you like, cars. yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, just watched it recently. So, sorry to go off topic. Anyway, mm-hmm. listen, guys, Brendan, are we giving yeah. our uh, guests any parting gifts or that's what? what? I was just gonna say, no one leaves here with nothing. And last time you left with a pair of socks, but uh, all of our guests this week are gonna get a special present of uh, a choice of an IX hoodie or a windbreaker. Uh, although before we kick this off, Danny asked if he could have both. So, yeah, I still haven't decided, Danny. You did a pretty good job. Danny gets both for his. Rampage You're lucky and short we didn't selling. get to talk about payment for order flow or any of that other pertinent stuff because yeah. when all I, right, you get, you get both. You, you get both, Danny. You get exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Danny. Sa- Great Sarah, cut him off. Cut him off. <laughs> Thank you. And, and if Betsy Cohen does a spat, another spat, and buys you guys, I'm sending it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh boy, nice border. All right. Well, thank guys. Listen, thanks as always. Like I said, you guys have launched yeah. our live conference yeah. like better than we could have ever hoped for. You, you guys, you guys are great friends of the firm. Continue to be. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Thank you. <laughs>and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.